we give it up for Michael and John just one more time leading us today? Guys, thank you so much for coming in, for doing this. It is so good having you back. I mean, I swear, those of you, who, who was here in December when Michael and John got to be here? I've been thinking about them since like December 11th or whatever that was when you guys were here. And You came back? <laughs> thank you for this today. You know, the first time that we had Michael and John with us, they came to lead worship. But we didn't carve the time to hear their story, and that struck me as like the biggest mistake in human history after hearing these guys and, and getting to know them and, and, and just getting to talk with you after that because uh, these, these two brothers, they just have an incredible story. They shared with you very briefly that they are born and raised in Syria. Your parents are still in Syria, and in the Syrian civil war, they had to flee to come here. Well, not here directly, but here through somewhat of a circuitous route, and the story of just faith and meeting God in that, and the struggle, and the suffering, to not put too fine a point on it, that you guys had to face. And I had the chance to hear some of your story, but most of the people here today know nothing about your story. So what I'd like to do is just hand this over to you right now, and if you wouldn't mind Tell us who you are. Give us your story and, and, and share with us, maybe up to the Syrian civil war to get us started, um, where you come from and what life was like. Good morning. I'm John. <laughs> Thanks for having us again. Yes, yeah, so um, we are originally from Syria. We grew up in Syria. And uh, since early age, my parents uh, led the church. So since early age, uh, we were plugged into ministry and thrown here and there, Sunday school, leading worship, and doing all that kind of stuff. So we grew up uh, like having normal lives, just like going to school, going to church on a regular basis, having friends and community. Um, and since we were pastor kids, we had to accept Jesus as a savior at some point in our lives, otherwise be no dinner. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Uh, so, told you it would work. <laughs> <laughs> I think I did this joke last time and it still worked this time. So <laughs> thanks for the encouragement. Uh, so <laughs> yes, and uh, yeah, so we personally accepted Jesus uh, as our savior uh, when we were younger during Sunday, uh, Sunday school days. And um, yeah, so we had great opportunities to uh, serve God in the church since uh, early age in music and other places. And in the meantime, we lived in Syria. Um, things were normal. Uh, Christianity or Christians in general, like the small minority, like smaller than just small, small minority, but we did not face like any uh, difficulties. Everyone was just getting along. Um, uh, our lives were sort of normal. And we went to school, we, we did all the, we played soccer, we did all the normal stuff that people do over there. Um, faith is personal, and I like how John shared his personal stuff, and I'd like to share a bit more um, about my faith journey. I remember in Sunday school and accepted Christ, I felt this burden in my heart, and I knew then I, I realized what does it mean to be a sinner and need, need His grace and feel accepted and loved by Christ. Uh, during that time, my dad was in seminary. He was getting prepared to become a pastor. Um, so I remember I prayed with my Sunday school teacher who 
fortunately, I had to meet last summer here in the U.S. He's here right now. Uh, uh, but I remember that unique feeling uh, after, after accepting Christ. I was young. I was in Sunday school, and I lived through Christianity like my entire life, like pastor kid, like PK, you know, like normal everything. But at that point of my life, I understood what is the meaning of sin in my life and how I need God every moment, every time. And I know that I'm unworthy, and He's given me something for free. I just need to accept it. And I remember this feeling in my heart that I start feeling burdened, burdened for people. I experienced this amazing thing, even like from early age, like and I felt like, does my uncle, for example, like know about this? Does my other extended family know about this thing that's called grace, that's called the love of Christ? Do they have this assurance that I have right now that I know if I close my eyes tonight on this earth, I know the moment I close them, I'll open them in heaven and I'll be with Jesus. So that burden carried through, um, through my, our, my entire life. And that's how kind of my faith before the Syrian civil war became my own is through sharing, through serving at church and through sharing with my friends, my family, my other, the other people around me, this peace that like, I feel burdened, my burdened for them. I can't tell them to their face. Like I'm burdened for you. I want you to know Christ, <laughs> but try to live it out and try to tell the story of Jesus and what he's did, what he's done to me personally. You know, I think for most of us, Syria is so framed by the civil war. And so you made this comment, both of you, several times that life was normal before that. But for many of us who have never been to Syria, I think there's a misperception of what normal actually means and how normal normal is. Uh, if I can ask you a couple of questions. Now, you guys are mid to late 20s, I would guess. So you were teenagers when the Syrian civil war happened. And, and something I picked up on the video that you sent me was that, you know, in high school in Syria, you guys like to try to dress nice to impress girls. That's right. <laughs> the question we're all asking first is, did it work? So far, it's now working. No, all right, all right. <laughs> I mean, I thought it worked, but it never worked. So it's kind of complicated. So thanks for bringing it up again. <laughs> Anytime, John. <laughs> but how, what is normal in Syria compared to normal here in the States? Okay, so like normal for us, like hanging out was a big thing. There's, um, so. It's like community people. Community, like, yes. we, like to, we don't like to talk. I mean, we hang out and we, it drags for four or five hours sometimes. Like we end up, we say we're gonna hang out with one, for one hour. So normal is hanging out for a, for a long time with friends. We're, we're community people. Like who, John is introverted, but he's good extrovertedly, like with people. I'm an extrovert, so talking, hanging out, having meal, having like drinking coffee and tea, um, and and having conversation. Uh, uh, there are things in our lives that I think we. My mom would not be so proud, like video games, you know, uh, to hear about <laughs> that. My mom, my mom thinks like, oh my gosh, Michael, you're grown up, you still play video games or something like that. But I think it's a good. It's a, this is the community thing, you know. Uh, so like our lives, I like grew up um, going to school in the morning, get meals, hang out with friends, and friends. When I say friends, I don't mean just Christian friends. Because we were, in our community, we were surrounded by a lot of people from different backgrounds, whether they're um, traditional Christians from different backgrounds, 
uh, or whether they're Muslim, whether some people who don't believe in anything, you know, just like atheist people. But uh, we had a community, like uh, like a normal civil life, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say. You want to just to put it in a, like uh, image, a lot of people in so less people in Syria had cars than here comparing to the number of people who lived there. There are a lot of people lived in Syria before the civil war we had. There were 23 million people living in Syria in a smaller, uh, I would say closer distance-wise, closer uh, uh, places. So the walking thing was, people walked a lot to a lot of places. So as teenagers, we didn't have, we didn't have cars, but we walked a lot and there's just a lot of stores and you kind of live in the city. Everybody lives in the city. So the city is very crowded. It's yes. like we lived in a city. We lived in Aleppo. So Aleppo was about five to six million people. Very crowded city. Very alive. Uh, Safe. Yeah. In, two, in 2002, Syria was the fourth safest country in the world. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So 2011 happens. And the two of you are teenagers, high school age, I would assume, give or take. First year college. First year college, okay. And in talking with you earlier and in listening to the video, the way you described it was you heard the first bomb go off and didn't really know what was happening. I was wondering if you'd be willing, if you could just kind of share the story and experience of what happened there in that year and... What happened to you? So uh, things started changing in 2011. Uh, so safety and all that stuff, we still had it, but it, things, a new things start happening. So like the safety levels start like dropping, um, protests happening, and um, prices like material, like the money value, the Syrian currency started going, like, started going down, so. We knew the country was going through a rough time. So we mm -hmm. knew there's something going on, but in mm -hmm. 2012, uh, July, it was the time we, we were still hanging out, walking around and getting dinner and all that stuff. So it was a Monday night, uh, we decided that group from group of guys from the church to like go out and watch a movie. And um, it was like Monday night, um, we lost the electricity first thing when we were at the, this guy's house. And the first thing we did was like, okay, it's like 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. Let's just go home and we can watch a movie tomorrow. And as we got into our apartment building, we heard the first bomb. Um, and we didn't know what it was, but it was just something really loud and the whole building shook. Uh, and as we like got into the apartment where we lived, uh, we started hearing more bombs and it never stopped from that point. There's no electricity, there's nothing on the news, there's no internet. One thing was happening, every time a bomb happened, we would lose all con connection, like no cell phone, no TV, nothing. And um, so that was, a, I would say, like that was a, tur a turning point for us because, I don't know how to describe it, but the amount of the amount of fear you get, the amount of, like it's a new thing, you're, you're experiencing new thing, you're put in a situation where you're hitting, big bombs shaking the building they're very loud and it's not safe obviously and you kind of have an idea what's going on so your body started like starts just acting weird like you get sweaty you or, and then you get super cold and then you start smelling weird smells that they don't exist maybe your brain is telling you so like hmm. so we were in a situation that we were never trained to be in like there is no training like 
who knew that it was they were gonna the bomb bombing were gonna fall on the city i mean we knew the civil war had started because that happened in 2012 uh, so it was almost a year through protests and everything was happening in syria but we never thought that this would happen to us and i remember like this feeling that night that would the next bomb be here would the next bomb like because i'm i'm feeling the building is shaking i'm feeling the like like th almost yeah three bombs a minute and i'm feeling the the windows are about to like pop out like because of the pressure and i that night um dad was traveling so it was john myself and my mom i remember that night i just i felt i was so afraid but i felt so responsible as well and i remember like uh going around and saying hey nobody sleeps by a window nobody can can let's be here in the like a middle area of the house. So if something happens, we know like we're here, we're still, we're together. Um, and it kept happening all night. It stopped maybe at nine in the morning. And as soon as it stopped, different type of bombing started. Now we start hearing like big planes, like jets, you know, like mm -hmm. firing down. And you can go on the balcony, look at them and see them. Um, the shooting, like uh, uh, machine guns all the time. And at that point, um, I remember that day, John wanted to go get a haircut. He needs one now, <laughs> but, but I remember um, my mom wanted to go grab some groceries. And that, those decisions, even the like, very simple decisions, I mean, now we don't think right now. I mean, I've been here for five years. I don't think about going to buy groceries. I need it. I get okay. into my car. I go to the grocery shop, get what I want, and come back. Those decisions that are very simple, simple decisions became big decisions big decisions because you don't know if you're going to say if John went to go if, let's say he went to go grab his haircut to get his haircut I didn't know if I was going to see him again mm. so those kind of small decision decisions became big and we became closer we cared more about each other we felt more responsible and we were I would I, I would say this till this day we were breathing the grace of God we were breathing his protection it was not, it was not something that you, you could, in, in those moments, you don't know how you have peace. But you know, the only thing that could sustain is his grace, his protection. We, I, I say this all the time, like as we breathe right now, we are in his grace and he's extending it over us. And he was extending that over us during that tough night. I remember this one last thing, Psalm 91. It was the psalm that I kept reading all night. That's the psalm that gave me peace. Maybe I read it like 50 times that night because hmm. I couldn't sleep all night. Um, and I read Psalm 91. It was, it was the psalm that's bringing peace because I, I love the verse that says, under his wings, he will, we, will, we will have refuge under the, uh, the shadow of his wings. You know, if you don't mind, I'd like to just read it Please. now. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. 
You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. I tell you, I'm reading that. I'm getting like a chill thinking of your story. And we, we read these psalms so often, and it's just ink on a page. And to hear the word of God cutting in, to the very situation you were in. How long did you have to live that way before you decided to flee Syria? I think we stayed after that. We left Syria um, early August. Um, so but in that situation, we were there for like four days. And yeah, we fled to a different city. But like in those four or five yeah. days, um, there's one image always with me. Um, if Jesus was a person in this room, and there's so, so many things going on, Jesus just became always so big that he overwhelmed the place and filled the place and nothing mattered. And I just held tight unto that reality that Jesus is here. And I was a little different. He was showing more... Uh, emotions and talking and I was always like just smiling and eating um, and I ate a lot actually in those few days because emotional eating I think so um, <laughs> but the peace that he gave me it was just indescribable then we left to this we made a decision as a family and that was also a testimony how we uh, left because we, we were like okay we're just gonna go to this different city that we know friends, we, there's church there. In Syria. In Syria, we will stay there for a week and It'll it will calm down, we'll come back. So we each, um, so we tried to, get, so the bus station was an hour far away from our home. So we need to get the bus to get out uh, the city. But because of the chaos that's going on, uh, the, the prices of taxi drivers to take you from your home to the bus station had gone up like, crazy and we were like this is just not this is insane but we packed small uh, suitcases just like for a couple days and um, we left our house and we stood outside and we said if the taxi driver comes we will just take it if not we'll just go back and stay and this soon, as soon as we stepped out of our house a taxi driver stops and he's like where do you guys want to go and we were like we want to go to the bus station and he's like Okay, come on in. And we, say, we said, like, how much? And he asks for the same amount of money, which was $2, like, um, that used to be, like, the normal price. And mm. we we're like, this is it. So yeah. we, got that, we got in the car, and we drove an hour in the city. Meanwhile, 
like airplanes flying, like it's like a movie. Like when you watch a movie and you're like the end of the world, like yeah. we're like watching people like shooting on the streets and like it was just very hard. And then we got to the bus station and then we drove seven hours uh, to this city. We tried to get passports because we didn't have passports and it took us 12 days to get passports. And in the meantime, a friend pastor in Lebanon had called my dad and um, he said, hey, if you mm. want to stay with the church, you're, you're, you should, I mean, you can stay, but send the guys. Because for us, we were young guys between 18 and 25. We were going to be either kidnapped or like arrested or taken uh, to, to fight with any of one of the sides. So, so that's what we did. The day we got the passports, we took another bus and we drove 16 hours across the country with the whole war situation and the bizarre chaos. And it was just crazy, but God's grace was just with us and his protection, and we made it to Lebanon. And I, I want to just small piece here. Every day of those 12 days, we were waiting on the passport, even the days of traveling. We traveled through very, very tough areas. And we just were just hearing rumors going on. Oh, yesterday five people were kidnapped here. Three people were shot here. And we were driving the 16 hours. Mm -hmm. Nobody stopped the bus. No one. The bus kept going through. I mean, there was one stop that was very scary. No lights in the middle of the night. But we were experiencing, like, I could talk for hours about every single testimony, every single time that God showed up and said, I'm here and I'm for you. I'm here, I'm making a way. I'm here, and I'm rescuing you. Every single time. I mean, the 16 hours, were, they were not easy. They were like years for me. I'm the emotional one, and I express yeah. How, how, yeah. how afraid I am. Yeah. Uh, but we were literally walking th through his grace. Now, this trip to Lebanon, this was just the two of you. Mom and dad stayed behind. How come? So uh, mom and dad are in ministry. As I mentioned earlier, when I accepted Christ, dad was already in seminary. So dad is a pastor, and mom is still there helping him in ministry as well. Uh, and they're with a, a Christian Missionary Alliance Network. Um, so they have been part of that uh, since, since they accepted Christ. So until this day, they are there. Mm -hmm. I mean, five hours ago, dad preached at his church. Um, and dad felt so burdened for the church. He was like, I cannot leave my people. Yes, I'm sending my kids out because it's unsafe for them. And he, he always encouraged, if it's unsafe, you should guys find better place, safer. But he always thought about his, the, 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 the congregation that's going to stay. He was like, how come I'm a pastor and I'm committed to this ministry? I can leave. So he didn't leave until this day. And the journey has been... I would say, I wish I told dad, hey, dad, buckle up. Like, the journey's <laughs> going to be bumpy. Uh, the journey has, has been bumpy. We've had a lot of ups, ups and downs, especially through the journey in Syria. Uh, many of you heard, but Syri Christians are a minority in Syria, and there is true persecution. I mean, we thought that we had persecution before the war just because of the pressure mm -hmm. on the churches. Um, but after the civil war... It became real, and we actually lost some friends through 
them being kidnapped with um, ISIS or other militants. Like we have brothers from the church that were kidnapped yeah. and executed by ISIS. Uh, so every day I would say, I'm, I'm always like, I say, Dad, like, you really want to stay? Like, we, you, we, can, we can bring you here to the United States. Like, we're here. We're safe. We can make you papers. I was like, no, those are my people, and I need to stay there for them. Wow. Wow. Even today, you said that your mom is coming to visit. Um, uh, congratulations on graduation, Thank by you. the way. And, uh, but, but, but dad can't come because of the way that the immigration policies are for your mom versus your dad. What are the things that we could even be praying about for your dad? For your mom, too, of course, when she goes home. But I think... Uh Big, uh, big thing is just strength in the ministry and encouragement. So just one thing, one thing to mention, like we talk to them every day and they are very positive people and they are just so excited about God's work and being part of that overseas. And we complain about like homework and work and all that <laughs> stuff. Uh, just to give you like a picture about the dynamics and the family. So uh, they, one thing they always, it's on their heart is like the leaders. So the church still open the doors of the church are still open and people are coming to Christ from the most, I would say, resisting groups that didn't want to hear anything about this before the war. And the war had brought a lot of people to Christ. And But a lot of leaders in the church left uh, because of safety. Um, so their prayer is to have like younger leader who can take over. So for the next generation leaders in the church, and they've been working on that and God has been answering prayers but this is this is one one thing we need they need more leaders within the church i think another uh, prayer request first thankful i would thankful to god that even through this chaos in syria god's still at work there's still hope there's still uh we, we when when we see pictures we see new faces and i say that for real i thought like half of the church traveled immigrated some of them are in europe some some of them are somewhere else and he said, you don't believe it how God is working. You don't believe it how, how people are coming to, to, to faith. And it's not, we're not trying to do anything. We're just being us. The church is open, definitely. The church helps with food for people who need food, helps with medical, um, like some money sometimes. The church is trying, like the church is doing amazing there. Mm. And when I ask, I say, Dad, like how come this person who I knew before, who was so refusing to Christ, came and testimonies and stories, and it's still our God is at work. Uh, there is one story that I like to share always, is from um, people who are from different backgrounds came to one of the pastors of my dad's network, and uh, they brought a baby, mm. and the baby had a fever, and the doctors had no idea what was going on with the baby. Um, the baby was going through a tough medical situation, and not eating, just losing her health. And this woman who showed up to church brought the baby to the pastor after the service. And she said, Pastor, can you pray for my baby? And the pastor knew that this lady is not Christian, nor her family, no one is Christian, but she's coming and asking. And the pastor said, he said, I grabbed the baby between my arms and with every inch of faith I have, I prayed. Mm. With every drip of faith I have, I, I prayed. And I gave her the baby back. The next day, a lady calls and, he, and she said, the fever was gone yesterday afternoon. We went to the doctor and the doctor said, I have no idea what happened. The baby is eating, the baby is back like healthy. 
And th from that family, seven people accepted Christ. And they wow. were not Christian. Wow. 21 of them later got baptized. Like one, the whole family came to Christ just because of that one prayer. And I believe it's not yeah. because he is alive and he's still at work. And through the chaos, he's still working. And he can turn ashes into beauty, just like what the scripture says. The church came to the understanding in Syria that God's ultimate goal to all people to know him and salvation is the highest priority. And it's hard for them to live this reality. It's not easy, but they're living this reality that if safety in the way of people knowing Christ, God is okay with letting go of that. And one other thing is to accept suffering is one thing, but to accept suffering and rejoice in it, it's a different level of faith. So I think the church has earned and stepped up their mm. faith game into that where they're embracing suffering. They don't, they pray for peace. They pray for wisdom for leaders so that things can get better. But if this is the case, we, we rejoice in it. I, if I could just pick up on something you said there and, and oh, the difficulty of this is You've said you could speak for hours on these stories, and I, oh my gosh, I want to stay here for hours hearing th th these stories, and yet we're always kind of racing the clock and, you know, the difficulty of that. But, you know, here, here in this congregation, to my knowledge, no one has had to flee civil war in any country. Uh, it, it may be the case, but I, I doubt it. Your level of struggle and suffering is unique, and yet at the same time, there's many people here who have their own unique level of struggle and suffering. And while we have unique challenges, there's some commonalities I've found. And you spoke of rejoicing in it, of accepting it. And, and if I could just ask you in closing today, if you were to share with the people here who are silently suffering or struggling in one way or another, what you've learned about how to get through it, how to suffer well, if I can put it that way, what would you say? I love the story of Jesus in the boat with the disciples as they were going through the storm. Um, and this image always comes to me while I'm going through hardship. And just to start this or not, we really, like Christians, don't have to be in Syria to be persecuted. Let's, let's put that clear. We're all persecuted no matter where we are. Um, and this persecution feels, or those even suffering moments feel, feel like, like we're in a storm, we're in the middle of chaos and we don't know how to do. And a lot of times like we, we just like, we, we go and pray and we want solution and that's, that's absolutely right to do. What I learned from my experience, I learned that storms never end. As we live here, we're gonna be in a storm. This is what the Bible says. We're not, until we are with him, that's when we're going to have everything right. But what sustained me the most is his presence. A lot of times, storms never stop. Storm don't, storms don't stop. And yes, we pray for a resolution. We pray for the storm to stop. And we believe that Jesus can stand in the middle of the boat and order the storm to stop. But what if sometimes the storm doesn't stop? What I learned that matters the most to me is the presence of him with me in it. God is not far away.
he suffered through it. He came, he took a cross, he died, he experienced death, and he rose from the dead. He's not far away. He's not like somewhere else, you know. He experienced all of that. He cried, he wept, and, and, and the drips of his, his, his um, sweat were going blood. That was, he was under a lot of pressure. So he experienced suffering. He knows what's going on. He knows the deepest anxiety you have. He knows the deepest hurt you have. And he's not standing far away. He can stop it. But sometimes it doesn't stop. He's willing to step into it. And he's willing to stand next to us. And to me, honestly, that's what brought meaningful to my suffering. Is as I was suffering, I felt his presence there. And that was the most rewarding thing, the most sustaining thing. It's like this piece that feels like, like I'm in a drought, but then God comes in a big wave and takes me away somewhere else. Just because I know he's experienced that, he's been through that, and he is with me right now. As I read my Bible, I see those verses become alive to me. Many times through sufferings, my tears were dripping on my Bible just because those words became alive. So just dwelling in there because he's with us. It's just, it's a matter of us opening our eyes and seeing that he is there. He's suffering with us right now. Like if you're suffering, he's with you. So I don't know really what you're going through. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's a health situation. Maybe it's, it's some, someone in your family has cancer or, or has sickness or anything. He's there. He knows. And he, when you cry, he's crying. And I think to me personally, when practical, this is practical, but also personally, when I'm, whenever I'm going through hard stuff and pain will never end, like there will always, always be suffering. Like, and this has been my practical go-to trick that I do with Jesus is like every time something is going wrong or not wrong, but you know, when you're super frustrated and you're like, how am I going to do this? I'm suffering. It's just like, take a moment and just tell him that he's good and tell him that he's worth, he's worth it and he is worthy of all worship in the midst of that moment. And I have been doing this for like four, five, six years every Monday morning. You know how Monday morning feels, you know? <laughs> so my Monday tomorrow, just for example, is going to start at 4.30 a.m. and it's going to end at 8.30 p.m. And just, just give him praise, even when it's super hard, that just and glorify him. I think this is always very encouraging to me, and I really encourage all of you to try it. It works. A, a verse that I used to challenge my people back home in Syria is from Psalm 34 and verse 1. It says, I'll exalt the Lord always. His praise will be on my lips. Mm. And I used to challenge like the church, like this, like this Sunday I would come and I would stand in front of the church and I say, hey, drop everything by the door. We're here in the presence of the king. Let's worship and try to like hype people up just to know no matter what's going on in your life, this is the moment. He's worthy always, always. And I noticed later that this always in the verse, it says, I will exalt the Lord always. This always adds a different meaning. It takes the faith in diff to a different level, like I will worship always. Mm. I remember during the time we were refugees in Lebanon, we, were, we didn't have visas, we were stuck in Lebanon, we didn't know what was gonna go, go on in our life. I remember this thought that like, 
oh, I used to say that. John would remind me, he's like, you used to say that all the time. Can you worship? Isn't this moment right now as we're suffering through this part of always? Come on. Mm. You used to challenge people. Now challenge yourself. I heard the voice of God. I remember that night. And in my ear, there was this question. I was like, can you worship me? Can you say that I'm good right now in the suffering? I fall on my knees. I was in mm. tears, bawling. And I was like, God, you are good. And I'm alive till this moment because of you. And soon God made a way. Mm. Because he is feeling. Like he feels us. It's not like he's far away. And that is my God. That is your God. And this is my, like, this is my daily challenge. But it's, I'm, I'm sharing my daily challenges. It's like, can we praise always? Can we worship him always? Because he's good, not because of my circumstances and situations. Michael, John, I mean, thank you so much for sharing today, putting your heart on the line, what we can learn from you and, and truly what God is doing for you. If we can just thank them one more time. Thanks for having us. Praise God. Praise God.